Welcome to Cooking Our Books. I'm Pamela Cook. And I'm Helen Cook. And as our surname suggests, we're sisters. And in this podcast, we're cooking and chatting about recipes from a cookbook that was put together by our mum. And these are dishes from women's magazines and some family recipes from days gone by. So this is episode two. We kicked off in our first episode by making passion fruit slice. And we're going to continue the sweet theme today with a crunchy tea cake. But it's great to be back with you again, Helen. And to you too, Pam. Although this time we're actually in our own homes, which is in separate states in Australia, and and we're uh, experimenting on our own (laughs) moving forward. I suppose I want to say up front, thank you to everyone for your wonderful words and encouragement and feedback from our first episode. The feedback that we've gotten from those that have listened to it is just wonderful and uh, and I'm really glad and I'm really pleased that people have enjoyed it. So thank you for listening. It's been a beautiful winter's day today and we've both been very busy in our respective kitchens baking. But before we get into today's recipe, I just want to ask you, Helen, what have you been cooking since we last spoke? Oh, so much. <laughs> Every day is cooking day. I, I think I mentioned in our last episode, I have a couple of uh, very hungry teenagers uh, living at home. So I'm making at least uh, one cooked meal a day. I have been experimenting a bit with some keto recipes. And I think for one of the winners, I would say, in recent recipes since we were last together was making a beautiful chocolate fudgy keto fudge, chocolate keto fudge with nuts in it. And it was just divine, not too sweet, obviously no sugar um, content, but using sugar-free maple syrup as the sweetening agent or sweetening factor in it. And that was really yummy. So, and and my kids loved it as well. It goes to show you don't actually have to use sugar to get that sweetness and, and to make sweets as well. I also wanted to try the passion fruit slice again back in my kitchen and I made it using I've got a full suite of KitchenAid utensils and KitchenAid uh, machines and I wanted to make the slice with all the automation because if those of you who recall from the first episode uh, unfortunately Pam's old faithful hand mixer broke down on us when we first started so the previous passion fruit slice was made all by hand beating the 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 sugar and the butter together. I did make the passion fruit slice again with the KitchenAid just to see if it made any difference. I will say that the biscuit base came out a lot more lighter and a lot more fluffier and that is to be expected because, you know, (laughs) as much as you and I gave it a good crack (laughs) at hand mixing, it didn't, it's just not the same, is it? So My arm versus a KitchenAid mixer is no comparison there. No No. comparison, no. So it was good. Uh, It brought out the biscuit base in air, a little bit lighter, a little bit fluffier, but otherwise still basically the same. That was a good little experiment for me. So those are two good hits there. The keto chocolate fudge was a winner and you say you remade the passion fruit slice. I think that was a good sign. The picture I saw of it looked a little bit higher, a little bit lighter than the one that we did, yeah, uh, which yeah. anyone can see on Instagram if you want to have a look at the pictures from our first episode. What have I been making? Well, I the hand mixer had died 
from episode one, but I didn't replace it. I ended up buying a stick mixer. We are in winter now and I was really looking forward to starting to make some soups. I did try a lentil soup and it was awful. <laughs> I don't know what I did. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I did. a harsh critic though. Oh, it was it was pretty rank. I didn't want to eat it and I <laughs> it, it it did not taste good at all and I'm pretty accepting of a lot of plain tasting food because I eat especially fruit and vegetables I eat them quite plainly and my palate is quite tolerant of that but even this was a bridge too far I don't know what I did wrong <laughs> I thought I cooked it right I blended it was really excited to use my new stick mixer and the taste was it was not right something was very oh. off on it so I would say that was a miss I also made hummus in my crock pot and that was a miss too. That was, I think, because I just put in an inordinate amount of tahini in it. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the spirit of trying to use up whatever I had left over and it was not right. It did not, it just tasted like tahini. It didn't taste like the enormous amount of chickpeas that I had cooked up. So that wasn't that, wasn't that nice. Um, but I will say a hit. What I've been making recently is a lot of high-protein cinnamon porridge. And I know that sounds quite boring, but I've got a friend whose go-to lazy meal, like, you know, when you get home after work and you're so tired and you cannot be bothered cooking, you know, most of the time people might make a piece of toast or you might make some two-minute noodles. Well, her go-to lazy dinner is porridge. Oh, I yeah, it's quite surprising. And yeah, I, I don't think I, I would have, I'm, I'm just having a think, I don't think I would have ever considered porridge as a dinner. I had like a lot of cinnamon in the porridge. It's just delicious. And then mm. you can add in some like tinned fruit. I mean, it's such a simple dish. I had it for dinner and it was it was really comforting. Yeah, so that was a bit of a hit. So oh, back we're, we're loving the cinnamon porridge at the moment and that's a that's a very wintry dish. And it's healthy too. Oats. Oats are very healthy, aren't they? Oats are very healthy. Nothing, for you. nothing to feel guilty about with that one. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Oh well, that's good. I mean, the crock pots are just—they're God's gift to a busy working mum. They really are. And um, you know, just to be able to set and forget. I, and I recognise that you did have a bit of a fail on the on the old hummus, but. Um, there's so many more things you could do in the crock pot and just to have set that crock pot going. I know personally I don't mind going to work and having the crock pot on during the day. It sits on low, it you know, it just does its thing and, and hums away. But I know some people don't actually like having appliances on during the day when they're they're not home. But you can always cook a meal overnight while you're sleeping as well. That's the other thing is waking up in the morning to the smell of a beautiful, you know, a hearty stew, hearty soups. And especially coming into winter now, uh, crockpots are just amazing they are drag it out for those of you who uh who have one in their cupboard and haven't thought about using it in a while grab it out i've made everything from uh savory dinners through to sweets i've cooked cakes i've cooked fudges breads there's so much you can do in a crock pot it's a great little tool i am one of those people who don't like to put appliances on when i'm not here 
it's my worst nightmare is leaving something on the stove and I actually have done that. I did that once and long story short, I was boiling some eggs and forgot I was boiling the eggs. I actually went to the shops, left the house, went to the shops and the shops were just down the road at the time. So luckily enough, I went and picked up a few things came back and as I came back there was this sense of smoke in my apartment and what had happened was the eggs had boiled dry and then exploded all over my kitchen oh no and it was just after that exploded there was no water left in the saucepan and the feeling of grief I had I can't tell you I quickly turned it off and it was egg particles all over my little kitchen and it just made me never want to do you know ever again so when I'm that kind of person that as I close the front door I'm thinking did I turn the oven off did I turn Mm. the iron off what did I use Mm. this morning that's why I try Mm. and never really cook breakfast on the stove in the morning because I'm always paranoid about leaving something on so yeah anyway uh but maybe that's being too sensitive but I I understand the whole point of a crock pot and you know the point of using pressure cookers too like they speed up everything and pressure cookers they scare me just that Mm -hmm. whole pressurization and if something goes wrong if seals don't hold if all of that that an exploding pressure cooker to me frightens the bejesus out of me so I I've got one I think I've used it twice just because I'm really nervous around using it. And I know that there are people out there that say, oh, just go ahead, it's it's fine, you just got the valve and everything. But I'm still very nervous about using it. I remember our mother using a pressure cooker. She did, didn't she? That pressure cooker on the stove, she used to use it all the time. And it had a little bell what is it called at the top of the pressure pressure cooker? The pressure valve was, it looks like a little metal bell. yeah. And as they're it was not cooking, like that nowadays, no, so. they're not. As it was cooking, it would go <laughs> like it was kind of. It would sort of like yeah. shift with the yep. pressure of the steam, yep. kind of semi-escaping. I remember that. That was a classic, mm. big red thing. Yeah, uh, and. And it did. It, it it sped up the cooking process for her, definitely. Yeah, but it was old. Like, I've got a nice modern pressure cooker, and and even I'm <laughs> wary about using it. And when I think back to Mum's pressure cooker, I think that was designed in the Dark Ages, <laughs> and it would have been it would have been twenty years old when she used it. So I kind of figured. I don't know how safe it would have been, you know. It makes sense why people would use pressure cookers if you've if you're using a cut of meat that might be on the tougher side. It also tenderizes it, right? And does it in quick fashion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the slow cooker does that as well, right? You get your old older cuts or tougher cuts or firmer cuts of meat and it just breaks down the cellular uh, composition of the meat which is just beautiful over time long low and slow cooking you know low and slow but um the pressure cooker if you don't have that eight hours to to break it down yeah the pressure cooker will do it in in 30 minutes you know I think it's something that I just have to get over and start to use more because I know it's a, a tool in my kitchen arsenal that can absolutely help me particularly as a as I said, you know, busy working mum. 
Yeah, you've got a point there, especially with slow cookers too. They are a gift of time and uh, something you can put on ahead of time, come home to a dinner that's ready. That's one of the best things about using them. That smell, when you pull into the garage and you open the, the door into the house and it just hits you, you know, it depend, doesn't matter what you've got cooking in the slow cooker. It's like, oh, thank goodness, dinner's already done. I don't have to worry about it. It's done, <laughs> you know. Don't we love anyway. that? Don't we love that? Let's talk about the crunchy tea cake. Now, this looks like from a women's magazine. There is a big colour picture of a big square cake with a brown topping. That's the crunchy part of it. And the ingredients, we have a buttery sponge cake. You can use butter or margarine. There's plain flour, self-raising flour, sugar, eggs and buttermilk. And the crunchy topping, it comes from a mixture of butter, flour, brown sugar, orange rind and cinnamon and that's mixed up and baked in on the top layer of the cake in the oven. So the recipe says serve this delicious crunchy topped cake with coffee, tea or hot chocolate for a morning, afternoon or supper time treat. I love that line because you can kind of have the cake at any time of the day but you definitely need a hot drink with it don't you You Helen? You need a hot beverage. This particular recipe, I actually know where mum got it from and I remember it. I also remember making the recipe in cooking class in high school. This recipe came from an edition of Woman's Day and it was in very late 70s, I'm going to say, but I know it was out of the Woman's Day magazine. Women's Day in the late 70s and 80s, in every um, issue of Women's Day, they actually had quite a, a good cooking section in the, in the issue. And I remember making the recipe. I don't know if it was ex- this exact recipe, but I remember uh, back in high school, I went to an all-girls high school. We had cooking class. I did cooking and sewing at school because that's what every young lady needed to know cooking and sewing and in cooking class I remember making this exact cake so the crumble top of the cake I have very vivid memories of um, actually using my fingers and we'll talk about that in a minute because I know the recipe spoke about putting it through a the crumble through a sieve of some sort to get that crumbly uh, effect on the top of the cake and it just didn't work for you so you ended up using your fingers but that's exactly what we were taught to do when I made this recipe at high school so it's got a double-edged memory I, I remember the recipe in the magazine and I also remember making the recipe at high school. The recipe itself says that you can serve sliced with butter if desired yeah, right that's at yeah. the end of the recipe but in the photo the cake's been cut into and there's two big cubes of butter just sitting there next to the knife ready to go. (laughs) And you know what? When I cut into mine this afternoon, I thought, oh, this is going to be fabulous with a bit of butter on it. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it has like half a pound of butter in it already. I don't think Um, it needs any more butter. I think it's got more than enough butter in there. Trust me, when this cools down like tomorrow, 
cut a slice off and just do a thin smear of butter over the top of it. It is divine. Just looking at the ingredients, uh, a few things to note. This is quite a large cake. There is nearly three cups of flour in this cake. So the size is very substantial. It's not a small little brownie size cake or it's not a slice like we had the other one. One cup of sugar, I read that and I thought, oh, that's a lot of sugar. But if you think about it, if you've got nearly three cups of flour, it's actually not a huge amount of sugar compared to the flour, right? Yeah, yeah. The ratio rings true for this type of cake, you know, for like a, a, a vanilla butter cake. Yeah, definitely. It does say you can use butter or margarine. I jumped on that. I did. <laughs> so did you, I did you? I used vegan butter instead because oh. I had it in the fridge. Right. And no difference in texture. It's interesting when they say cream the butter and sugar, does vegan butter cream just like regular butter? I used a vegan butter that's actually produced to be resembling butter as much as possible. You know, you can get all sorts of different margarine spreads. Some are more olive oil based or some are more grain oil based. This was definitely designed to be a buttery spread. So it was actually really easy to work with, much easier than I think the butter last time. But I think butter, you need a bit more temperature to melt butter than this. You know, margarine is a little bit, a bit softer to work with in its natural state. So there is a difference in taste. And I know that last episode you were talking about the difference in taste between butter and margarine. Margarine, I don't mind the taste of margarine, certainly not this vegan one. So I actually prefer that taste to, I think, butter sometimes. Even the unsalted butter is, I don't eat a lot of butter day to day, Mm. so the taste is very noticeable to me. But, yeah, it worked fine. And this has buttermilk in it. And I was quite surprised. I haven't bought buttermilk in ages. Mm. And it almost came out like yogurt. And it smelt very sour and it was thick. That's what buttermilk is, (laughs) sour milk. Well, the recipe itself says to add one cup of buttermilk or sour milk. So, I mean, that's exactly what buttermilk is. I tend to make buttermilk scones. That's beautiful. It just adds that, I'm not going to say tartness, but it evens out the sugar a bit and it brings in a lovely texture. So It does. It gave it a depth of flavour as well, given that there's not a drop of vanilla again. Am I sounding like a vanilla fan here? I always think of vanilla when I think of cakes, but again, Mm. no vanilla here. There is is just butter, but the sour taste of the buttermilk does, it Mm. brings a depth out. It's definitely a butter, it's definitely a butter cake, butter cake base. It's not as dense as a pound cake. Butter pound cakes are, are quite dense and quite uh, more solid. This one just is a lovely butter cake. It has a texture between a light sponge and a pound cake. So if you can think of in between those two, that's what the texture is. Did you use brown sugar? I did not have brown sugar and I was Cursing myself a little bit because I'd read the recipe about four times and somehow the brown sugar eluded <laughs> me when I went to do my ingredients list. So slight moment of panic at the need for brown sugar. But then I, once I'd mixed together the topping, I think it was fine without it. I just yeah. used normal sugar. 
wrapped up perfect yeah look to be honest um i didn't follow the recipe exactly to a t because the topping called for orange rind and i actually didn't have any grated orange rind so i left that out and to be honest those that know me know that I don't like peel in any of its forms. I'm happy to put orange juice in, but the recipe wanted uh, orange rind grated, so I left that one out. So you're not a fan of marmalade then, Helen? No, no, no. Orange rind it, in Christmas cakes, no? No, don't ever use it. Whenever a recipe calls for orange rind, I substitute it with well generally in fruit cakes and christmas cakes i substitute it with um dried apricots or any other dried fruit other than <laughs> orange rind or peel no i pick peel out when it comes my way <laughs> <laughs> i don't like it <laughs> we all have our likes and we all have our dislikes let's talk about making the recipe so as we discussed i did do it without a hand mixer again it was a bit of serious work and I've got to say, I did. I think it was very well mixed and much more consistent than the passion fruit slice last time. Yeah, I was. Whilst the the KitchenAid was uh, wearing away in the background, I was thinking to myself, "Well, oh, I wonder how Pam's going with this because there's a lot of beating. There's absolutely a lot of beating going on here." So, yeah, you were <laughs> in the back of my mind. I was wondering how you were getting on with it all. I do own a food processor. And it's one of the things I use least in the kitchen, but I'm always interested in cake recipes you can make in a food processor. And if I can remember, Nigella Lawson does do a food processor cake. So I like the idea of just bunging it all into the food processor and hitting the on button really easy. I considered using it this time, but I thought, no, let's just just do the old bowl and uh, wooden spoon and give it a crack. And it it worked. I was pretty happy with that. Yeah, yeah. I must admit, um, talking about bunging, you know, great recipes that you can just put everything together in, say, a blender or a food processor. I have one for a mandarin cake where you you do you you take the peel, you peel the mandarin, but you just throw the whole mandarin seeds and everything just straight in whole mandarins into the food processor. Throw the flour in, butter, sugar, mandarin, and pour it out into a tin. I love those recipes too. I think that, you know, the old one-pot wonders, <laughs> one, one food processor um, jug wonders in cake making is great. So, yeah, there's plenty of recipes out there that you, you can do in a food processor. I definitely have to look for more, I think. Was it just me or did this recipe force you to use every utensil under the sun? <laughs> Oh, my Lord. I think I did three hand-washing loads in the sink whilst I was making and prepping and waiting for the cake to cook. I had to do another load of wash. I went through all my KitchenAid bowls. I went through all my spatulas, every measuring cup that I had. I went through measuring spoons. I think I used about three knives and I was just, I'm thinking this is just an enormous amount of washing that needs to be done. It got slightly silly at one stage because the logistics of this recipe, I started out by sifting all the flour into my big bowl 
Then you have to have another bowl to cream the butter and sugar. And then you have to add the flour into that bowl. That bowl was much smaller than my other bowl. And then every time I'm measuring something, I was thinking, is this wet or is this dry? Do I need a new <laughs> spoon? Do I need another teaspoon? Yeah. I just gave up at one stage. Just, just, just go with it. It's what the recipe needs. And then when you get to this whole topping fiasco, that's all I'm going to call it. How did you go? So How did you go? You're asked in the recipe to mix the butter, the brown sugar, the cinnamon, the grated rind of an orange and half a cup of flour. So it kind of becomes this semi-batter, quite dry. And then the recipe asks you to press the topping through a fine strainer evenly over the cake mixture in the tin. So you're doing this as the last step before you bake the cake. And I started, I got out my fine mesh strainer probably too fine for this job, and started to try and press this buttery batter through the strainer. Now, the first 20 seconds, perfection, right? These (laughs) things started to go through and there's this beautiful fine dust. And then the thing just started to mix together and resemble some sort of dough and (laughs) coated the bottom of the mesh strainer. Wasn't going anywhere, was just staring at me as I'm trying to push this thing through. So essentially I thought, "Mm, okay, let's just do this another way. So I started to just crumble balls of it over the cake manually. Yeah, so I gave up sieving this this batter. (laughs) You can't sieve a batter. And ended up just spinning it. But I look, I think it worked fine though. Well, interesting because um, I'm th- as you're saying that and, and about how the texture of your crumble turned out, I'm suspecting that's because you didn't use brown sugar. Even though I left the orange rind out, I had the brown sugar and the, the flour and the butter and, and I got it all together and it actually came together in like a paste. It, it reminded me of a, a malleable paste. And then when it said to put it through a strainer, I went, just immediately I knew that by looking at that paste texture and a strainer, that those two were never going to go together. I rummaged around in my utensil drawer underneath, my second utensil drawer. I have multiple drawers. This one is the odd gadgets drawer. And in the odd gadgets drawer, lo and behold, I found this Tupperware strainer and it's a Tupperware strainer that has like two handholds on either side it's designed to help you strain or drain out liquid from tins and I looked at this thing and I'm like yeah that's gonna work and sure enough it did it just pushing this paste through uh, the top of that strainer over the top of the cake it came out in long strings and and you'll see in the photos that you can see the long strings of this um paste yeah oh well look you know what you use what you've got at hand and i coming back to my memories of making this cake at high school we used our fingers absolutely we used our fingers in in pasting the crumble i clearly remember that not a lot i remember from a teenage years but i definitely remember this one that rings really true. Paste is the right consistency that I ended up getting, yeah. but whatever works, right? Yeah. yeah How do we get yeah. it in there? And it's all yeah. going to get bagged anyway and become nice and crunchy as the top. Yeah. And it was. It was really crunchy. What does it taste like, Helen? Oh, beautiful. 
again, much like our last episode, you can't go wrong with butter, flour and sugar. Right? And so this beautiful butter cake is, is really light. Uh, I think my kids have already eaten half of it already. And, uh, and the crumble on top is really lovely. It's got that cinnamon in it and everything that cinnamon touches is glorious. You know, I think I've got a pin interest board that's called For the Love of Cinnamon and you just love cinnamon. Cinnamon is great. Absolutely. I think the cake is scrumptious. As we discussed, the butter cake has a little bit more depth to it. I liked the orange rind in the topping because it gives that just that scent of orange as well as the cinnamon Cinnamon is amazing. Uh, this is a bit of the theme of today's episode, I think. A great one to share with your colleagues at work or to have after dinner. I wouldn't have it necessarily with ice cream, maybe with some Greek yogurt or some cream. It needs butter. Butter? No, it doesn't need any more butter. I would not it put does. any more butter on it. <laughs> more <laughs> butter. There's butter no, in the toppings, there butter in the no. cake. Yeah, you can never have too much butter. <laughs> That's true, though. Sometimes, like, I like banana cake with butter and I don't want to know how much oil is already in a banana cake. I just like it with a little bit more butter and a little bit more honey for me. So maybe that I can understand where you're coming from. Honey's a great substitute for any sugar. It really is, you know. It's it's, um, anything sweet like that. Honey, maple syrup is another great one. Golden syrup is another great one that you can use as a substitute for sugar the right sugar listen to me i've got like five different versions of sugar in my pantry if it's not in your pantry it doesn't exist Exist. that's all i'll say so would you recommend someone make the crunchy tea cake oh absolutely this would be a great cake for those that have got a morning tea at work it'll be a hit just be prepared to do a lot of washing up right (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely Look, I'm really pleased with uh, with our choice from book two. Uh, however, I am looking forward to our choice from book three. What is it, Pam? We're going savoury, thankfully, after two sweet recipes in a row. We're going to make cheese triangles. And what I'm really excited about is the recipe has step-by-step photos. Thank you. <laughs> I know, and I remember where that one came from as well, but I'll save that for the next episode. So if you want to make this dish yourself, you can find the recipe and pictures of both Pam and my attempts at it on our Instagram page. Our handle is cookingourbooks1. And if you cook it, we'd absolutely love to see your photos. Message us your pictures on Instagram or email us at cookingourbooks at gmail.com. Our theme music is Josie Has the Upper Hand by Josh Woodward. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Subscribe so you can be notified when our new episodes are live. Bye for now. Bye for now.